0: Dharmas Common to All Part 2 Part 2 consists of 5 subtitles. They are Truthfulness To serve others is to feel blessed Towards mental purity, fault finding and anger. Truthfulness Truthfulness means mind and speech being well integrated. The wise say that speech being at variance with the mind is untruthfulness. God has given man the gift of speech so that he may give expression to his thoughts and feelings. If what we speak is at variance with what we think, God will take away the faculty of speech from us in our next birth, that is, we will be born in the animal kingdom. There are, as we have seen before, exceptions made in our sastras to the rule of absolute non-violence, in waging a war to preserve dharma, in offering animals in sacrifice. Are there similar exceptions to the rule of truthfulness? You will perhaps say none. But as a matter of fact, there are. In any locality, there must be a number of undesirable characters. Let us suppose that a certain citizen is annoyed with such characters and gives open expression to his anger. He committed this outrage, that the other man is guilty of such and such a crime. He keeps recounting the misdeeds of the bad elements. In doing so, he is being truthful, that is, his speech and mind are in accord. But by giving expression to his feelings, no purpose is served, for neither he nor the community is benefited. It is a futile kind of accord that of his speech and mind and it cannot be called truthfulness. Take the example of another person. He is full of evil thoughts, and if he gives expression to them, can he be called truthful? No. So truthfulness, now we see, is not merely a chord between mind and speech. It means voicing good thoughts, thoughts that are beneficial and are liked by people. Doing good through thought, Word and deed is truthfulness. All that does ill is untruthfulness. It is not enough that you speak to a man what is good for him. You must speak with affection and the one to whom your words are addressed must find them acceptable. If you speak harshly, nobody will listen to you, even if you mean well. Thus, words that serve no purpose do not constitute a truth. Your speech must be beneficial and, at the same time, capable of bringing happiness to the man to whom it is addressed. This is truthfulness. The wise say, May he speak the truth, may his speech be pleasing, may he not speak the truth that is unpleasing, may he not speak an untruth that is pleasing. A mind that is subject to desire and anger will not give rise to words that bespeak affection and cause well-being. Truthful words that create good are the product of a mind free from desire and anger. What is truth then? Thought and speech must be in accord, the mind must be serene, and the words spoken must be pleasing. That is. What is spoken must do good to the speaker as well as the listener. To serve others is to feel blessed. A man can be fortunate in many ways, but there is nothing that makes him more fortunate than the opportunity he has of serving others. When we serve a family, we are not conscious of how we help it. We must learn to help people who are not akin to, other families, our village or hometown, our nation, indeed, all mankind. We have so many problems ourselves, we suffer so many hardships, and we have so many worries and cares. We must not, however, mind serving others in the midst of all our difficulties. We will forget our problems when we are immersed in the work of helping others. There is a saying feed milk to your neighbor's child your child will be nourished. The Lord will raise us up from our troubles as we do good to others. However, it is not with such considerations of profit that we must try to help people in difficulties. We must not worry about how others will benefit from our work, but consider how we will become naturally pure. Also, we must think of the happiness we will experience by serving our fellow men. Service should not be confined to mankind but must be extended to the animal kingdom. In the old days, ponds were dug exclusively for cattle and stone pillars were installed here and there for them to scratch themselves. Everyone must feed at least one cow every day with a handful of grass. There must be many others like us, many groups, who want to be engaged in social work. It should be ideal if the efforts of all were brought together under one body of like-minded members. Care must be taken that associations so formed do not break up. They must be managed honestly with a proper enforcement of discipline. Those who do philanthropic work must be men of courage and enthusiasm who take praise and blame equally. We keep aloof from the outside world when we are ritually impure. We must regard any day on which we fail to do any service to others as a day of impurity. Parameshwara is the father of all creatures. By serving our fellow men, we serve the Lord. Towards mental purity. We can learn from the great men of our past who have left us lessons not only in Atmic matters but in the conduct of family and social life. For instance, Kinship and friendship in their time were based on high principles. When there was a marriage or obsequial ceremony, all friends and relatives came forward to help. It was cultured behavior at its best and it was not based on any empty outward show. People then were truly and sincerely interested in helping the needy and the poor. At weddings, they gave a little cash to the bride's parents, 5 or 10 rupees, and the burden of those who conducted the marriage was lightened. When everybody pays a little to the needy, the donor does not feel the pinch, but the donee has a tidy sum with which to celebrate a marriage or perform an obsequial ceremony. Among relatives in the past, there was not much gap between the rich and the poor, and the rich man helped his poor relatives. All this is part of dharma. The man who helps purifies himself more than the man who is held. Now things have changed. The well-to-do do do not help their poor relatives. Anadana was part of the noble tradition of the past. How is it today? At present too, the well-to-do feed people, but with this difference that those fed are also well-to-do like them. When they give parties, banquets, etc., a great deal of money and material, is spent in this manner. Where is the room for dharma or mental purity in all this? A party is given not with any noble intention, but to promote one's selfish interest. The man who gives it thinks that he is practicing deception on the invitees. But the invitees, however, know that the host has no true feelings of affection for them. The host and the guest thus deceive one another. Altogether, parties and toasts are nothing but a part of the modern art of deception and have nothing to do with the cleansing of the mind. If you help a poor man with food or material, you and he are equally happy. There is affection on both sides. On the contrary, there is even ill-will. Hatred and resentment are caused in the hearts of have-nots by the parties given by the haves. Among relatives, there should be no distinction between rich and poor. You must not think that only the affluent can help the poor and earn merit. If you are not well off, you may serve others by helping them physically. All of you in a locality may join together to dig a pond. All this contributes to inner purity. How do you deserve the grace of Ishwara? By constantly serving others by being compassionate to all creatures. Your mind, your consciousness, will also become clear. In this pure consciousness of yours, you will see the image of the Lord. Do you see any image in turbid water? We have made our minds muddy with impurities. We must make them limpid by being devoted to the Lord and by serving mankind. Then Ishwara will be within our grasp all finding do not magnify the faults of others say the wise but if there is something good about a man speak appreciatively about it i myself however am bringing your faults into the open but to repeat you must not bring to light the drawbacks of others but only their good qualities pointing a finger at the faults of others or exaggerating them in speech and writing has become the practice today. The more learned a man is, the more eager he is to find fault with others. Finding fault is indeed the work of a doshajnya, it is said, but a doshajnya is one who knows the faults of something or somebody, not one who reveals them to the world or exaggerates them. If you think a person has any drawbacks, you must speak to him about them in a friendly manner but not constantly harp on them and expose them to the outside world. We must be worthy enough to speak about the faults of others and we cannot take upon ourselves the role of an advisor when we need to correct ourselves. Advice given by us then would be counterproductive. If you tell a man what is wrong about him, he might even feel boastful about it. When are we fit to advise others? When we are worthy enough, and when we know that our word will have the desired effect. Anger. It is customary to speak of karma and krodha together. Krishna Paramatman says in the Gita that desire and anger goad a man into sinful action. When we intensely desire an object, we try to get it by fair means or foul. It is a deadly enemy, desire. It exists on to commit sin. Equally deadly is anger. When we fail to get the object of our desire, we turn our anger against the man who we believe was an obstacle. Unfulfilled desire becomes anger. If we throw a rubber ball against the wall, it bounces. In other words, it returns to us. The ball thrown is desire and it is the same ball that becomes anger as it bounces. The attack we believe we make on others in our anger is actually an attack we make on ourselves and we are hurt more than those we wanted to hurt. When we are angry, our whole body shakes. Anger indeed causes pain both to the body and the mind and we make ourselves ugly when we are angry. You will know the truth of this if you see a photograph taken when you are in a foul mood. Hunger is appeased by eating, but is fire assuaged in the same way? You keep feeding it and it keeps devouring everything. Fire is bright, but it chars all that it consumes. Or in other words, it turns everything black. Karma or desire is similar. It flares up like fire. The more it is fed, the more it becomes hungry. Indeed, karma blackens our mind. When a desire is gratified, there is joy for the moment, but soon it goes in search of more food, and in the process, we lose we lose our peace of mind and happiness, and become victims of sorrow and anger. Sorrow and anger are two forms of unrequited desire. If we think that those who are a hindrance to the gratification of our desire are inferior to us, we turn our anger against them and if we think that they are superior, all we do is to grieve within ourselves. Anger is packed with more evil power than even desire. We must be extremely wary of this terrible sinner called anger. A little thought will convince us that we are not in the least qualified to be angry with anybody or to shout at anybody. We are even more guilty than those who are against whom we turn in our anger. We know this in our heart of hearts. Even if we are guiltless, before we rush to find fault with someone, we must ask ourselves whether we would not have committed the offense we think he is guilty of were we placed in the same circumstances as he. We must try our best to keep anger always at a distance. Shri Guru Piyo